Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. Oh, well, what's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts, and you're listening to the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults for Mm -hmm. Christ in our world today. We're joined by our newer friend, Vince Parker. What's up, man? What's going on? How y'all doing? Thanks for having me. It's truly an honor to be here with you guys today. Oh my gosh, we are honored to have our paths cross and uh, lean into this fun conversation today. But for the listener who does not necessarily know him yet, Josiah, what do you have to say about Pastor Vince? Oh, Vince Parker is amazing. He's an inspiration to me. He's on staff at Life Church, where he oversees youth, internships, and young adults across their 45 plus campuses at the time of recording. When this drops, it could be 46, 47, 48, 49. Uh, we'll see. But uh, Vince also has is a requested guest. Um, we're doing a series called Hello to Gen Z. And we just surveyed mm-hmm. listeners and said, who would you want to hear from mm-hmm. on the topic of the faith of the next generation? And so people have been asking for you. We've been asking for you. And uh, wow. just to kick things off... <laughs> Can you just share some of your story of life and leadership today? Yeah, uh, whew, man, God has done a work in my life. I'll, I'll tell you that. I've been on staff at Life Church 15 years. I've got the most amazing wife named Melissa. We've been married for be 16 years this year. We've got a 21-year-old uh, daughter uh, who is Melissa's biological daughter, but I've adopted her. So very cool story there. Um, man, I grew up going to church. Uh, I don't want to say like I was a drug baby. But my mom drugged me to church every week. Like that's just <laughs> kind of how I was. Like on a Saturday morning, she'd be like, I'm going to the mall. If you want to go, be ready by nine o'clock. And if I wasn't ready by nine o'clock, she'd just leave. On Sunday morning, she said the same thing. I'm going to church, be ready by nine o'clock. And I wouldn't be ready. And she'd be like, well, I guess you're going looking like that. And she'd just throw me in the car and take me to church. So I'm thankful for mom that uh, when it comes to all things, she was mm-hmm. very intentional about helping us and praying for us. I probably have the typical Western American story. You know, the older you get, the less you think about Jesus, the less intentional you are. Um, and then somewhere between 18 and 30, I was very uh, not walking with the Lord or intentional about my walk with the Lord, whatever words you want to use. Yeah, so I grew up going to church. Uh, my mom would take me. She would make sure... Uh, that I was there. And so I was super thankful for that. But traditional Western American story between the ages of like 18 and 30, I didn't go to church uh, just while I'm doing my own thing. And then literally uh, my wife's boss at the time invited us uh, to church. He said, I buy you dinner. I was like, I'm all in a free meal for one hour in church. We went and God said, welcome back home. And I've been running after Jesus uh, ever since. And so it's just been incredible. And that church that we walked to the doors of about 18 years ago was Life Church. So I've been a part of this church for over 18 years now on staff for 15 and just thankful for uh, how God has used this church, how God used my pastor, shout out to Pastor Craig and uh, so many other amazing people in my life. Oh my gosh. Absolutely love that. Thanks for going there. I think so many people have a similar element of your story where they walked away from Christ 18 to 30, or they came back to Christ in with within those 12 years. And even here in the Tron staff for the 15 years, you went back at 18 years when it was a three year, you know, that little gap and everything. 
of going to church and then becoming on staff, when would you say, and why do you believe that the faith of the next generation is so vital and important? Because I mean, you experience at 18 to 30 and you're probably, you're coming alongside people when you're doing young adult ministry, when you're reaching out to strangers, like all those different elements in those settings. And even you having a daughter who's 21, she's in that age gap right now. And I would just love to hear your heart of like where that passion come from, but then why is the faith of the next generation so incredibly vital? Yeah. Uh, The Bible says the faith of a child. Uh, you guys have kids, you know that children believe anything is possible. But for some reason, the older you get, I don't know if it happens when you get a mortgage. I don't know if it happens when you start thinking about life insurance. When you get somewhere on the tires, for some reason, people see the world a little bit different. And it's, I don't want to say the faith diminishes, but uh, all of a sudden you find yourself thinking about things. You're like, you're trying to worship God, and all of a sudden you get a text, the mortgage payments due, and you're like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta take care of this." But kids, man, younger, they are all in. They are all about uh, that life. They are all about Jesus if they're walking with Christ. And I just think the reason I'm passionate about it is because it's who Jesus chose in the Bible. If you pick any story, Old Testament, New Testament, they went and they got people. And went and found God's anointed. And all these anointed people, all the disciples, these were all younger people that God called. And I think there's something special to that, that God says, man, I want to use a group of young, wild, crazy, mm-hmm. insane, mm-hmm. run for the hill, charge the gates of hell with water pistols, let's make it happen type of people. I'm not saying that they don't need wisdom and wise older adults because there's Proverbs, which clearly speaks to that. But I think the group of people that he's excited to use, because he could have used a bunch of older disciples, right? But they might've been like, yo, I got 12 kids to take care of. I don't got time to do that. And so, but Jesus is like, yo, I want to use this group. And I just think, and where do you see that at is that's the age group in which they're excited about the opportunities that lie before them. They're like, what do you mean? How come I can't change the world? How come I can't do that? What do you mean? Like, there's nothing preventing me. And I'm not saying that's each and every Gen Z or, or coming up Gen Alpha, but the majority of them go, I got a phone in my pocket. I can do anything and I can make anything happen. And I think even with the day with what you see with influencers and YouTube and all that, that they're going, let's do it. Let's make it happen. No kidding. I, I know for me, um, it seemed like I grew up in church and have a similar story, but my faith really became my own. I always say when I got car keys, because I could have gone anywhere and I chose to go to church and to get plugged in a community yeah. and just to grow in my faith, to make it my own, not something my parents' decision, but really took that personal ownership. And um, along the line, graduating high school, I had some friends who invited themselves to church. And there was this mini revival that happened in our high school. And um, it's still like started a small group five weeks ago at my church for men. One of the first guys to come hasn't been to church since he like kind of became on fire for a season in high school. And so I just think that the, the ages of 18 to 30 are vital. They're important. And um, 
Mike and I feel deeply burdened about the faith of the next generation. And just, we're going to continue to ring the bell for young adults and advocate for them. And along the line, uh, I remember two or three years ago, it was at a next gen kind of conference. I think it was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I met you and I bet there hasn't yep. been Vince. I bet in my entire life, there hasn't been five people who listened to me and what I had to say the way you listened that day. My mom unquestionably is one of them. Micah unquestionably is one of them. But you just said like, what are you passionate about? And I go, well, man, I'm passionate about young adults. I didn't know who you were, but what I do, what stands out to me to this day is you listened um, that day to hear me, what I had to say. And I I probably word, word vomited on you. But fired up about young adults and seeing them reach for Christ and training leaders to do the same. And I'm grateful that you listened. It started a great friendship. Uh, but I think that sometimes listening to what's on people's mind, what's on their heart, it unlocks something supernatural and, and so profound. And uh, along those lines, I'd love to just ask you this. What's on your heart for young leaders right now, 2023? Oh my goodness. I tell you what I'm excited about. I believe we have to charge young leaders to want to go to war. I think we have to, they want to do change the world. And I think we as older generations, those who pour into the next generation, those who pour into young adults, uh, we have to charge them to be like, hey, you can change the world. Not in a way that scares them, but in a way that empowers them, prepares them how to be faithful, how to be resilient, and how to take one step at a time. And I think sometimes the focus is too much on, well, what's my next job? Sure. And God's saying, how do you be faithful in what you're doing right now? How are you faithful in, in reading your Bible? How are you faithful in inviting people to church? How are you faithful in prayer? How are you faithful in fasting? How are you faithful in the thing that God's placed on your heart? You might have a desire on your heart as a young adult, to feed homeless people. And you think I've got to start this giant big thing. And God's like, no, go to the store, grab four or five Lunchables and you know where to drive and where to go. And you can hand those out. Grab a couple of local gas station gift cards, grab a couple of bus passes, take your extra funds, take the money you were going to do to go hang out or go watch the movies or go do things you probably shouldn't be doing and take those too. But I don't know if we ever talk about things in such a way. I think like sometimes it's like, we overemphasize don't sin versus overemphasizing, hey, man, let's go use our gifts and talents and be faithful and reach people for Jesus. And so, man, I just think we're at war. I don't think that changes. But when you have a generation, there's generations that just want to go to war and fight. And when you try to hold them back from it and you try to say, hey, just come to our service, sit down and listen. Hey, just we'll get you there one day when they're saying we want to do it now. And I think that's why you see so much of Gen Z and soon Gen Alpha going, well, I don't need you because I'm trying to stop, put it into race relations or human trafficking or whatever. And if you're not going to do something about it right now, or if you're not going to empower, help me do something about it right now, then I'm going to do it myself. There's nothing wrong with wanting to end homelessness or human trafficking or anything like that. But I think the difference is, is what you do in Jesus's name, because mm. we know Jesus came to change the world. And so the thing is, we have this next gen who has these passions, but they've been given gifts and talents by our Heavenly Father to do something about it. 
but the church, we need to as a whole empower and not trying to start stifling the things that they want to do, but help them be the ones because they're supposed to come to us for wisdom. And mm-hmm. in the same way, they tried to put Saul's armor on David, right? We have to be like, okay, so you've you've killed some lions and some bears. All right, I guess we can let you fight this this giant. You know, with you, you got some skill sets. What you've been doing behind, but we're not asking those questions. We're actually just like, hey, come in, sit down. Think. So we got to take time to get to know them, mm-hmm. know their story, empower them, and send them out and let them go to war, let them go to battle because they're the ones who they're they're the ones who are excited about it. Because as you get older, what did David do? He stayed back. He's like, bro, I'm yep. too tired to go fight battles. Yep. He stayed back and did things he wasn't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't take away from anything he did before or anything he did after. But then when he was young, he was like, yo, who said what about my God? Who said what? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's get him. Yeah. But as he got older, you know, and it happens to all of us. There's nothing wrong with getting older. You get more wisdom, you know. But at the same time, so that means if you're older and you're staying back, then how are you going to charge those to go out? And I just think it's our responsibility of those who lead the next generation. Even if we're leading and we are that next generation, how are you preparing and sending that generation out to do things? Because I believe those things that bother them, right? There's those righteous righteous passions that God's saying, hey, you need to do something about it. And he's giving them the gifts, the talents, the skills, and surround them with the right people. Part of the right people are those their leaders, their youth pastors, their internship coaches, their young adult pastors who are saying simply this, hey, don't come sit down. Let me help you go to war. Let mm-hmm. me help you use the right things that God's equipped you with to change the world. Vince, that's so good. We love the fact that you even use the word equipping because that's one of the themes this year is equipping the saints. Like how do we equip the young adults or the elders of the church to do the work of the ministry that God has put before every single one of us? So I think with that, I just think of like, how do we not as leaders harness other people's skill sets, but help them tame them, help them channel it in a positive way, even how it parallels to maybe how you study the Bible. Like how have you been able to create atmospheres or call out, like call a generation out and up in love and truth when it comes when they're like ready to storm the gates of hell and be like, this is an injustice or this is that, or I have this gift, like how can I use it? And maybe they're not even asking to use it. They're telling you that they want to use it. How how can we as leaders just be mindful? Like you said, like as we get older, kind of wears off. We, we have more wisdom, so we'll kind of step back. But how do we create and help them channel those, I don't know, giftings and skill sets to honor God in the process? And also, is there anything that you've done to like study the word of God to help align that in the, the years that you've been exposed to like the young adults and how culture is evolving more or less too? Yeah, I think it starts with a few simple questions. Um, man, that is great to hear about that passion. Why is that a passion? Okay. A, it's important that you help them articulate. So why is it a passion? The next question is, what do you want to do about it? Not what are you going to do about it, but what what like what do you want to do about it? Because here's the at truth, you want them to dream big, but you want them to see where they're at. Are they going, yeah, I care about ending human trafficking? but I don't know anything about anything because what that does is it actually sets up the next question. Okay. So if you don't know anything about it, 
how are you going to go research it, right? And we're blessed to live in 2023. There's this thing called the internet and Google. So you can go ask it questions where you can go and be like, hey, how do I help end human trafficking? What organizations are doing something about human trafficking? And after you ask them those questions, you say, what I want you to do is I want you to come back in a week with those answers. Anything you can't answer. Okay, so you came back. So you heard about A21 and you heard they do things. Oh, you want to raise money for A21. So you want to do like a fundraiser, like a, a GoFundMe, like a walk. Oh, you want to do a walk to raise money? Okay. How do you put on walks to raise money? Man, I don't know. Google it. I'll see you next week. Yep. <laughs> I love it. When they come back, hey, man, you got that figured out? Oh, yeah, I got that figured out. I know what it is. Okay, when is it? Oh, you want me to do it? Yeah, man, God put this on your heart. I got 50 other young adults got a bunch of stuff on their heart. I got 20 teenagers got some stuff on their heart. Got some interns got some stuff on their heart. Man, here's the deal. You got a date? Okay, who are you going to surround yourself with to do this with? Who, who else is passionate about this? Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't think about other people. Yeah, Paul had Silas. You know, Jesus had the disciples. Everybody got someone. David had Jonathan. You, you ain't doing this by yourself. Who are you surrounding yourself with? And it, it's simply this. You're just repeatedly asking the same questions based on where they're at. Yeah. Right. And you're sharing your wisdom in a way that says, and along the way, what's going to happen is you're going to know someone in your church or your sphere or personal circle who's an expert in these things that you can connect them with. But you don't have to be an expert on each and every thing that they're passionate about. You just have to know how to guide, lead, and help steer that energy in the right direction. Five options. We'll talk about those next week. So that's what I say. It's good. It's so practical on mm -hmm. that level. And I think that sometimes it's really easy to be, have a, a theory or have a mm -hmm. philosophy. And then there's a disconnect between the theory and the praxis of it. And really the ministry, I think it's so based and rooted in God's word deep theology, and then it's practical. Mm -hmm. It's We don't want to be caught in this space where we're more educated than we are obedient. Good. And that's exactly what we're doing is giving the next generation handles to channel that passion that they have for fighting injustice, for changing the world, mm -hmm. to fight the battles, but they don't have to do it alone. And sometimes they just need um, maybe not a sage from the stage, but just that guide from the side. Hey, have you thought about one step ahead? Let's meet again next week. And that's so, so powerful. And, and I know that we share this next theme in common, and that's doing life together and discipleship. Mm -hmm. Something that Micah and I believe deeply is that we probably haven't been your pastor or had that much of a significant impact on your life unless you've been here in our home. Mm -hmm. unless we've been in your home, just this idea of life on life, discipleship and sharing life together. And um, we were at an airport in Atlanta, like last month, Vince, and you shared some things with me about imagining if every pastor did this next thing and that's share life together. Open up the light. Can you talk about your philosophy of doing life together for discipleship? Yeah. Good. So it hit me. I don't know, a few months back, I had a youth pastor, he had a kid, and it felt like in his conversations, the first time you ever saw a kid put to bed was when he had his own kid in his own house. And I was just like, this is this is weird. Like, not negative, not bad. Just like, you like you sound like you didn't know this was hard. Like, it's like you've never seen this before. It's like you just, 
saw the movie and thought you could do it. And it's not a negative thing. It was just like versus going, what if Josiah Micah invited someone to hang out to their house? Maybe it's a young couple. Maybe it's, it's like, hey, every Monday you come to our house. If our kids are sick, you're still coming. If we're fighting, you're still coming. We're going to have dinner. You're, we're going to play cards after we put our kids to bed. You're going to watch us put our kids to bed. And it's just part of life. It's not this weird, like, there's no book. There's no, it's just real life. And when they're at your house, they're going to be like, oh, so you guys play with your kids before they go to bed every night? And you're going to be like, no, not every week. Because sometimes I just be like, if you don't get in that bed, I'm going to get you. You better get, I'm gonna, I promise you better get in that bed. But it, the problem is, is people, but if someone asks you questions, you'll be like, well, yeah, I pray with my kids every night because that's your heart. And that's what you do. But in reality, no one gets to see the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, they just get to hear the stories. And I just believe that people need to feel, see and walk with people in life. So you may not have you may not be married with kids, but you go to the gym, invite someone to the gym with you to do life and see how you you're witnessing or sharing your faith or inviting people to church at a gym. There's something you might meal prep every week. You might cook. 50 meals every Sunday for three hours, there's someone you can invite to be like, okay, you can meal prep alongside of me, just bring your extra chicken, your extra broccoli and whatever. The idea is simply this. We're not called to just gather together in a living room or a coffee shop once or twice a week with someone. Doing life together literally means, oh, while I'm there, I'm getting to see how you raise your kids. But if it's a rough night for you, I've been doing life with you for a year now. Your kids have respect for me that I can go put them to bed. And I can give you the break that you need. Because we're doing this together. But if we treat it like it's a class, it's not a class. It's life together. A class says, here's all the answers. And you don't need to see anything. Life says, no, here's life. I love my kids. They're great. I'm so thankful for the blessings they are. But I just need you to know some nights that it's hard to put them to bed because they just don't want to go because grandma gave them too much sugar or it was a Valentine's Day party and they had all the snacks I told them not to eat. And so I just think that you're always two or three stages of life ahead of someone. And you should be walking with someone in a way where, hey, either you should invite someone to be a part of your life or if you see someone, you should be like, hey, this is Micah, man, I, this might seem weird, but I would love to come hang out with your family when you put your kids to bed. Just like eat, break bed, see how y'all live life. Just that. Like, I'm, I don't have big questions for you. This isn't that. I just want to come hang out with you and your family. Like, if you don't mind that. And I think it's okay to ask that. But if I say, hey, will you give me two hours and disciple me every week? You'll be like, let me pray about it. Let me check my calendar. But the other way feels like, oh, I feel so honored that you'd want to see what our family life looks like. Like, that's crazy. And you just need to, and so they might think, oh my goodness, Josiah bakes baked chicken and tilapia every Monday and it's amazing. You're like, nah, he grabs KFC. Yeah, he just, you know, because when you tell people something, it looks one way and you will tell them how you want to be in your head and how it is 70% of the time. It's the 30% and the reality that people need to see. Like people need to see that. Like in you guys' case, you guys should be like, hey, we need to find somebody with some teenagers who's running around crazy trying to take the kids to practice. Matter of fact, I'm going to call my friends, got some teenagers, got four of them. Yes, it is a game changer. And, you know, I think that 
Community, if we're not careful, can be a buzzword. Discipleship or life together, mm-hmm. if we don't define it and and actually live it out, model it in a way you're talking about, there's the 70% that's, you know, we want to be visible, but there's there's some behind the scenes too that, I mean, gosh, even doing a podcast for crying out loud, there's the, the part that people listen to or they watch on YouTube and they're like, oh, I want to do that. But every once in a while, I'm like, and I will sit with somebody who's like, we want to start a podcast. Can we pick your brain? Like, sure, you bet. <laughs> and what they don't see is the books that we've read to prep or the questions that we sent ahead of time or the edits that go into the behind the scenes. And then they get to enjoy or they want to have a conversation. But life is like that, that mm-hmm. anything is Googleable, but there's just something about practice and experience tangibly that's Mm -hmm. so so different and I think that biblical literacy is one of those themes and topics that um you know people are starting to blog about people are starting to have conversations about and that's amazing at the same time um one of our our former students she did her master's degree capstone project on biblical literacy She read 800 articles that all quoted the same Barna study that said 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. And none of the blogs really said anything practical on here's how you can develop and Mm -hmm. build a biblical worldview. And um, I just think that in our conversations about life, you're not reading a lot of other books, Vince, you're reading the Bible. And I'd love for you to go there if you're willing to just share your approach to reading God's word. Yeah, I believe that we should consume God's word at a high volume. I believe the average person reads God's word when a problem arises for that particular problem. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But in truth, God's word was written to us, not simply when, oh, I'm dealing with anxiety. Let me find a Bible plan dealing with anxiety. Oh, I'm dealing with depression. Let me find a Bible plan dealing with depression. Oh, I'm dealing with joy. Let me find a Bible plan about joy. Oh, I'm struggling with being generous. Let me find a Bible plan about being generous. Um, I just started today, actually, my fifth time through the Bible this year. I'll make it through the Bible uh, six times uh, this year. I don't think it makes me more holy. It doesn't make me more spiritual. But if you want to have a biblical worldview, then the Bible has to be the lens in which that you see the world. Well, the only way that can happen is if you eliminate all the other influences. That are, So if it's the music you listen to, then you spend a lot of time listening to music. But if you listen to the Bible, read the Bible in 30 days, you ain't got time to listen to nothing else, watch nothing else. You about two, two and a half hours a day in God's work. And I know that's different if you're a parenting. I'm like an empty nester now, so it's, it's different. But I just had a bunch of... Uh, pastors on my team, 13 of my challenge them, and they read the Bible in 30 days, you know, and so because they go, oh my goodness, thank you for that challenge. It changed my trajectory. And I think if we want people to do something, no one will do anything more than what you're doing, even if they never know about it. So if you are a pastor at your church for your young adult ministry, you want your young adults to read the Bible more, then you have to say this, no one will read the Bible more than me and then put it to the make it true and so like i said that three years ago so i went from reading the bible in a year to 
now, like I said, I'll read through the, I've read through the entire Bible four times already. It's halfway through the year. I just started time number five. I'm going to read through it in 60 days. I'll read through it again in 90 days. And so I just want to read it 30, 60, 90, 30, 60, we're on 60 now. We're hitting 90. The Bible has to be um, that in. That's sometimes how we treat the Bible. I just want to sprinkle a little bit in there just to make it make make it pop a little bit. But it's almost like no, uh, uh. The Bible, if it's like chocolate chip cookies, it's the chocolate chips. Without it, it ain't chocolate chip cookies. Right. You can't have a biblical worldview without the chocolate chips in it, which is the Bible. And I just don't know what people just consume it on enough of a high level. And that's just my my personal opinion. It's like I love that we should listen to our pastor preach. I love that we should listen to podcasts and worship music and worship, but without the Bible, how are you actually having a biblical world view if you don't actually read the Bible? And if it takes you, there's nothing wrong with this, but if you read the Bible in a year, you may have forgotten something you read earlier. And so if you just continually consume God's word, it just becomes a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. There are things that I no longer like literally do and have changed because I read God's word and I go, man, I, just, I think I got to make some changes in my life. I think I got to start doing some things. Like I'll give you, this is the weirdest example. I was driving to the gym this morning. Okay. And there was a guy on the corner, t-shirts, shorts, no shoes, and an ankle monitor. And my first mm -hmm. thought was, God, do you want me to help him out? And I went, why do I gotta ask God if you want me to help me out? This guy ain't got no shoes on. Let me turn around, go to the house, grab some shoes, and give them to this guy. Right? It begins to shape because how many times have we asked God, do you want me to do something about this problem that God's already clearly said he wants us to do something about? Mm -hmm. Right. But we're sitting here waiting for God to answer. And it's like, uh, uh, no, this guy ain't got no shoes. He must obviously need something. I went home and got some shoes. I made the assumption that he probably wanted some shoes. And that's what I went home and got, a pair of shoes. And so I, I think it's just a matter of like, your worldview is what you consume the most of, right? Some people's worldview is their kids. It is. Some people's worldview is their spouses. Some people's worldview is their political beliefs. It's the sports team they're on. That's their worldview. Whatever is front and foremost in your life will be your worldview. And for me, to have a biblical worldview and then say, I can't ask people to read the Bible in 30 days if I've never done it. I guess I could come say, come along with me as I do it. But because of that, and every person who I've ever asked to do it thanks me and says, man, that was that was a special time. And I love that. So to have a biblical worldview, you got to consume the Bible. Phenomenal. I love that. It's so good. And even a good challenge for us as leaders and pastors and even probably for the listener to say like, hey, people are doing it and it can be done. Like don't look at it as an elephant in the room just take one bite at a time one day at a time yeah. one book at a time whatever and however it has to be structured for people with the 30 60 90 30 60 90 and i know that you and josiah were together about a month ago and he came home and he was so excited and from first and foremost from having some time with you picking your brain and just having some great conversation but we're really curious about um the camp that you guys were a part of so can you talk about the, like the student leader camp slash training, whatever that is and look like, and what happened when you yeah. were there? 
So we do this thing for our student leaders called capacity. It's actually invite only. So if you were there, you might be like, well, this looks like everything else. The, the big difference is, is the fact that it's invite only. So that's in the same way that Jesus specifically chose disciples. We're choosing people where we see something special about them or we believe God's anointings on their life. We just are saying like, hey, come be a part of this. Now that we're asking you to come be a part of this, we're going to go ask you to fist for a minute. We're saying you got poured into it at a very high level. So now we want you to be intentional and go out and reach people for Jesus. Go out and find that thing that you're passionate about. And because of it, we've had these students raise thousands of dollars for Bible engagement to help put Bible in people's own heart languages. We've had people raise money for school supplies. We've had people... Uh, start tutoring programs with other nonprofit organizations where they're like, we just need people. And they're like, we can provide people, clothing drives, food pantries, because the way we look at it and say is we go, man, I'd love to do this for everyone, but what can I do for just one? And obviously mm -hmm. this particular group of students is more than one, but we're intentional with saying like, hey, we're going to pour into you, but we want you to go out. like this and i mean uh it was fun to hear more about it too but there was a thought that dawned on you about if this was say the nfl or if oh was nasa yes okay so here's the thing uh, listen this is this is this is the thing that's driving me i i just this is the thing okay when you think about interns young adults students in this space, if you gather the best of the best of them in any field, sports, science, mathematics, the arts, two in three jobs, schools, and businesses will be lining up at the doors to get their money or to get them to work for them future one day. So if it's a bunch of high school football players, uh, Alabama, Minnesota, uh, Oklahoma, and the NFL scout teams will be there going, I hope you play for us one day. I hope you play for us one day. If it's scientists, Caltech, MIT, Berkeley, they'll all be there. But for some reason, when it comes to the church, if you take that same group of people and say, these people are on fire for Jesus, I don't know where that version of pastors or leaders in the church are at showing up going, yes, mm -hmm. I want you to work at my church one day. Oh, yes, I want you to work at this local mission partner one day. And I'm telling you, I just firmly believe that we have to go get our young people and bring them along and say, let's go. Yes. Because Nike, the NFL, the NBA, pharmaceutical companies, uh, arts, they have it figured out where they're like, that's where the future revenue's at. That's where the future workers are at. So Nike's going to buy all the jerseys. Uh, Adidas is going to provide all the tennis shoes. Um, they're going to do those things where I think as a church, we have to be like, I think it's why some of our young adult ministries now are 18 to 57 because no one's ever gone and got them and said, Hey, Hey, you, you that you're in, you're in college, you're not in college. I want to give you a job. 
Mm -hmm. hey, 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 you're in the young adult ministry. We love the young adult ministry, but I've been hearing great things about you. And I want you to come be and lead a small group for the weekend service. Hey, I want to get you, and I want you to be in charge of our food pantry kitchen. It's almost like in the church, and I love the local church, but it's almost like we're just kind of waiting for the people to show up versus going, hey, I need to go get you. So I'm telling you right now, youth pastors should be going to their kids' pastors going, hey, tell me who, give me 10 fourth graders. I'm going to buy them pizza once a month and have them just come hang out after church. That's it. Just want to buy them pizza once a month. Those 10 fourth graders will be like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. The young adult pastor should be going to the, to the, to the high school pastor saying, hey, give me 20 of your best high school people, the ones you just love, the top of the top. I want to buy them pizza once a month or buy them Starbucks drink and just hang out once a month and just ask them questions. The senior or the prayer pastor, whatever, should be going to the young adult ministry going, give me 20 of the best young adults. Give me 20. And I want to buy them pizza and hang out with them because we have to go get people. Because if we don't, and we see it all the time in young adult ministry, young adults want to start their own thing. And I've got friends who go, yeah, have a, I'm having a hard time not having my young adults just want to do their own thing. Well, you got to go get them. If you if you want them to be part of something, you got to go get them. If not, they'll start their own thing. Like if you, if you invite them to be a part of something that's amazing and God's doing work in, they're all about it. But if they're like, oh, they don't want us because that's how they feel. No one likes being rejected. And they go, I don't see me in there and no one there is going to get me. They'll go, I'll just stay in here. And that's why you see young adult ministries that are 18 to 57. Like, and I wish that was a joke, but literally I talk to people all the time and they'll be like, oh, what's the age of your young adult? And I'll be like, oh, it depends on location, you know, really on this, what age on it. They're like, mine's 18 to 57. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we just, yeah, they just keep coming. No one leaves or. So again, that's not a fully flushed out thing. I am working on that. If you bring me back in a year or someone reached out to me and asked questions about it, I'm telling you, man, we got to figure that out. My gosh, Vince, you light a fire <laughs> with me because um, this is, this is the future of the church and just these thoughts Number one, opening our home. Who are we going to get? Who is our invite-only leadership event? Who are we inviting? Who are we going to recruit and, and bring into our life? Open up our home. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, the mess. I think that all of those things are important. But then this idea of scouts, um, the NFL has scouts, college football teams and baseball teams, basketball teams, they have scouts. And mm -hmm. What are what's our scouting report? And I I'm optimistic. I am filled with faith seeing the alpha generation emerge, seeing Gen Z emerge. And at the same time, if we got to be honest too and call a spade a spade, if there is a disconnect, how can we bridge that gap? And it's going to look like a personal invitation. I've just yet to see something someone whose life was changed and there wasn't a personal invitation involved. I'll talk personally for a second, but mm. I remember being 18 years old, wrestling with the call of God that I was sensing on my life. And my youth pastor said, Hey, this Wednesday night, I want you to preach the gospel. Yep. 
And I was freaking out. I had never <laughs> preached. I didn't even always pay attention during the sermons that I did attend. And then they wanted me to write the outline and give it to my peers as the outline of sermon notes. If I'm thankful to God, I don't think it's recorded video or audio anywhere. <laughs> but you know what happened? I go, God met me there. I mm -hmm. told my youth pastor, this was exactly where I belonged. And I went on a missions trip and he said to me, he goes, you're the pastor of this mission strip. I hadn't been to Bible school. I didn't have a degree. He goes, tell you what, pray for mm. people like you were their pastor. Feed people like you were the pastor. Reach yeah. out to people. Act like you're the pastor. See if you're called to this. So and just, he did that. We didn't have an invite-only student leadership retreat, but he just did that. He invited me into his home, invited me into his family. He had a daughter. She's like two days old. They bring her home. He has me over, mm -hmm. sits on the couch. Smallest baby I had ever held. I was worried about breaking her. <laughs> but then when we had a daughter of our own, I remembered, oh, wow, I held Belle. I, I think I can handle this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. um, this yeah. fires me up and it fires us up. And I pray that the listeners challenge like, wow, um, there's levels to this thing. Ryan Leake says, and maybe my Bible reading for my own biblical literacy in 2023, maybe it needs to go to the next level. Maybe my mm -hmm. personal invitation needs to go to the next level. Maybe my equipping the saints needs to go to the next level. Maybe, just maybe the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And maybe God's calling me to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so Vince, yes and amen. This is the conversation today. And what we love to do is end the episode throwing five minutes on the clock, rapid fire. You up for the five and five? Sure. I think we can All make right. this happen. Let's go. All right. Here's question number one, Vince. What has God been teaching you lately? Ooh, man. A couple things. Holiness and people groups. Holiness and people groups. Uh, man, I haven't listened to secular music in about 90 days now. I've been fasting like more weekly than ever before, consuming God's word. And then um, just when I read my Bible, I see God speaking specific things to specific people groups, even in specific times where he spoke to them. And I just feel like, okay, God, I don't know exactly what that means, but that's, man, we'll see where it goes, but yeah. That's good. I love it. What about this? What's some of the best advice you've been given personally? Uh, my favorite piece of advice I've given personally is you don't know what you don't know. Um, you, people are like, what? I remember the first time I heard it, I'm like, what? Jerry Hurley, one of our executive pastors said it. He's like, you don't even know what you don't know. It's okay to slow down, ask questions, be inquisitive. And then when you think you have it figured out and you think you know something, just know you still don't you know don't. what you even don't know. And I, I think it just puts us in this posture that says, oh, there's always something for me to learn. There's always something for me to be thinking about. There's always a need for my dependence upon God because I don't even know what I don't know. Yes, that's dead on. Okay, here's the curveball. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question, any question under the sun, what would you ask us today? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, so about my personal knowledge about Josiah and in both of you together, I would be like, 
give me the secret sauce or your secretness to uh, this happy joy that eludes from your family. So I know there's the Jesus component of it, but there's a joy that eludes from you guys, like a happiness that's even turned up a little bit more of a notch than what just comes naturally. Like there's some kind of intentionality of thing that you either, it's a family value that we will always smile or care for people or there's something there <laughs> or God just blessed all to be joyful all the time. It's oh, a good question. You want to go first? Yeah, for me, um, my life wasn't always this way. I dealt with um, some tension headaches for three years of my life, had some debilitating health issues with that, some crippling anxiety, and um, God healed me from that. And there was a moment I was in a chiropractor's office and I prayed, I fell asleep, woke up with no headache, and I felt like God was asking me to surrender control mm. and perfectionism. And as I made peace with being imperfect. Um, I haven't had tension headaches ever since. And so it is like joy has exuded from me. It's like that idea, God's mm. turning morning into dancing. Mm. And then I think too, people will ask Micah all the time, like, does Josiah ever get stressed? Yes. There are two things this week that I'm stressed and afraid about. Yeah. Um, I think there's something that I got a phone call and just a righteous anger dwelled up in me last week. And so I feel a lot of emotions deeply, but I think that what it comes back to is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Choose yeah. joy. Let's go. Come Choose on. joy. Yeah. I think obviously Jesus is the one of the, obviously the factor of happiness and joy. It's all encompassing. I think some things that we've adopted, even before we were engaged, maybe it happened at engagement. Uh, I just know that when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, we were in an upper room and God said, are you, do you want to come on a lifelong adventure with me? And if so, like, are you ready for it? And I, that's the only thing I got when I was in that upper room. And then when Josiah proposed, he said, do you want to come on a lifelong adventure with me? And I think one thing, how we started our marriage and how I think we've started our relationship with Jesus and how we've walked it out is we're going to begin with the end in mind. So we want to be the most encouraging, joy-filled. Like we want to be the Christian that people see and you're like, wow, there's something different about you. Not you're the reason why right. I don't go to church. And, and I just feel like so many people say that, or they've had that experience. And we're not trying to morph into something that we're not. I'm like, God, make me more like you, Christ, make me more like mm. go to bed at night. Can I truly like lay at peace and be like, I was obedient in everything that you called me to do today? Or God, where did I choose to fall short in like disqualify, my, disqualify myself from reaching out to somebody? So I think um, one of the things that we've adopted is like, we're going to live a life of adventure together with Christ at the center. And with that comes joy. Uh, on a practical note, I would say things that we've adopted in our family as well is we're going to eat healthy. We're going to exercise. We're going to sleep well, and we're going to advocate for our family and take care of our souls. And in that process, like, are we perfect at that? No, but it's a never ending battle of fighting for what the enemy wants us to forfeit in the process mm. of robbing us of those joys, because what we put in our body, what we put in our soul, what we put in our mind and our ears, like, it's like a song, like, be careful of the ears, which you, what you hear, be careful of the eyes, what you see, like, we're aware of what we put in our body on all levels. Um, and I just think that living the healthiest life and becoming the best version of ourselves is one of our life mottos and our goals that we've 
dedicated to the Lord, but also to each other in our marriage. And we pray that that bleeds into the family in a most positive way. So sorry, long answer. Okay. Long answer. <laughs> no, you're, you're good, guys. You're good. It's, All right. I spoke to someone. That's good. Well, the last question that we have for you today is if you could leave the listener with one piece of encouragement, maybe one challenge, what do they need to know? Uh, God didn't call you to kill you. He loves you. The things you're doing aren't to take you out. We live in a fallen, broken world. We were made to work before Adam and Eve bit the apple. He said work was going to be hard. It's not a personal thing. It's not against you. Uh, resilience builds character. Romans 5, step into it and watch God forever change your life and watch you be used. So good. Well, thank you, Vince, for in, enjoying some conversation with us. At least if we enjoyed you and I know oh, you will too. <laughs> this is great. This is great. I've loved every minute of so grateful for you, Vince, and you're listening to the Young Adults Today podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone.